Amen. Well, last week, if you weren't here, we had an amazing speaker come. Um, Jeremiah Campbell, he, he and his family have been missionaries in Bolivia. I thought one of the funniest things that he said was when, when he tells people he's a missionary to Bolivia, people say, what's it like living in Africa? <laughs> and that just shows you our, uh, not everybody pays attention in class, you know, right? Geography's not everybody's strong suit. I remember, uh, anyway, got to stop going on tangents. You can tell when I get sleepy, my brain goes all over the place. Uh, anyway, but Bolivia is right in the center of South America. And they were home, not as a planned furlough, but they were home because their country is in unrest. It's on the verge of civil war. And so they had to leave. The Assemblies of God World Mission said, hey, we need to get you guys out of there while we still can. Um, and so they're home. And so he shared with us a powerful story of, of how God's using the civil unrest to, to birth a revival in people. Um, and we, it's, just, it's an amazing thing that, that we can see throughout history uh, we can see it now in different areas of the world that where the church is under stress and persecution and challenge, faith rises up. Um, and this whole book of Daniel, it's, it was a perfect fit for Daniel because the book of Daniel takes place where the people of God have been captured. They're in exile. They're not in power. They're not even home. And yet God is doing something through that exile as he's calling them and he's demonstrating his goodness, and he's demonstrating his sovereignty over kings and kingdoms that don't follow him. He's demonstrating the sovereignty, and we're seeing it through the lens of Daniel. It's incredible, Um, and we know this. It's not just true because the Bible says it's true. Kings and kingdoms rise and fall. So, that's part of the lesson that we learn, and and wherever we're at in life, it's so much more than that. We live in this world, and it's kind of up and down, and, and it's topsy-turvy, and yet we know through all of it that God is over all of it. He's over all of it. Kayla and I have a saying that we have kind of taken on as a mantra, that God is sovereign over us and for us. He's bigger than anything, but he's also for us. So we see that through the lens of Daniel, uh, that God is not taken by surprise. God's not taken by surprise, not by any of the challenges we face. And we have to remember that because there are times when we're taken by surprise. There are times when it feels like this is more than we can handle. And so we need these reminders and this encouragement to trust God, that he sees a picture bigger than the circumstances we're facing. And books like Daniel are written to help grow our faith that God is in control even when circumstances don't seem to be meeting our expectations. And Daniel, I mean, he lived in exile. He lived his whole life in exile, faithfully trying to serve God. And what did it earn him? It earned him a trip to the lion's den. It earned him a lot of enemies that didn't want to see him succeed. It it, it didn't earn him a nice cushy retirement. (laughs) Let me put it that way. He never got to see his homeland again, and yet he was faithful. We're going to see through the passage today that just because God speaks to you doesn't mean that you feel real good. (laughs) And that's a tough lesson. That's a a hard thing for us to swallow sometimes. We want the the good feelings, right? Anybody ever fall victim to that? We want to feel close to God. We want to 
feel it. We want it to make us feel better. Today's story is not one of those stories. But we know that God is sovereign over all kings and all things. And we're going to see that again through the book of Daniel. If I were to tell you today that uh, I knew somebody who could predict the outcome of the Seahawks game today. I mean, some of you think you've predicted it. Or the, the, the entire outcome of every game for the entire NFL season, down to the scores, who would win the Super Bowl, and they could get it right perfectly. How many of you think that would be pretty cool? Or what if I could tell you, or somebody could, not me, I would never do this, but could predict the outcome of the impeachment inquiry and the Democratic nomination and the election in 2020 down to nitty-gritty details about each one of those candidates. What if somebody could do that? They had a dream and they could do that. Wouldn't that be pretty amazing? It'd be pretty amazing. Some of you are like, where's, where's that at? <laughs> That's essentially what's happening in the book of Daniel. Daniel's had a dream, and, we, and we've seen this, that, that God has used Daniel to predict the future. And Daniel sees it. Nitty, just like if that were to happen for us today. That's what happened in Daniel's time. And through it all, whatever the predictions, there's, a, there's an underlying theme that we have to remember. And I thought Jeremiah nailed this last week. As we think about prophecy, we think about the end times and all the details. There are many people who want to get so into the nitty-gritty details of the prophecy, just watching and waiting. And, and the big picture is this, that at the end of everything, Jesus wins. <laughs> Jesus has won the victory. That's the big takeaway from these prophecies, that God's kingdom, not shakable. Kings and kingdoms rise and fall. The kingdom of God, unshakable. The sovereignty of God, bigger than all of it. We have to remember that. That, that gives us this big picture this big perspective that if we could live every day of our lives with that perspective, we might act and live a little differently, wouldn't we? We struggle. Anyway, so let's get into it. This is going to be part scripture reading and part looking at how these prophecies were already fulfilled. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to talk about a vision that Daniel had. And I want to point out the fact that this stuff, Daniel wrote down hundreds of years before any of the prophecies were fulfilled. So this is what it says, Daniel chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me. Daniel, after that, which appeared to me at the first. So, first of all, we're going back in time here. Okay? So we've already gone through Belshazzar. You guys remember that? The handwriting on the wall, right? This is the king who, like, brought in the... Um, goblets from the temple and drank and then the handwriting on the wall and then he died that night anyway so this is going back so this this kind of just lets us know that this whole book is not chronological now we've gone through kind of the narrative here's the stories that have happened now we're going to go back and we're going to look at daniel's heart and what's going on in his life during this time period so we're going back a few years um, and so daniel has he's had multiple visions and he's also interpreted multiple dreams so he, this is what we have to understand about 
prophecy and about visions. See, sometimes we think of prophecy in the sense like we need to be afraid that they're warning us, that they're telling us something. And, and oftentimes they are. Like you think about the prophet Jeremiah. When he went to Nineveh, he spoke a prophecy that basically said, if you don't turn to God, you're going to be destroyed. And that prophecy was a warning. And the people of Nineveh, they, they worshiped God and they weren't destroyed. So it wasn't him saying, here's the future. It's like he was saying, if you don't, here's the future. These visions that we see in the book of Daniel are different than that. They have a different purpose. This isn't a warning vision. This is a this is going to happen vision. This is God demonstrating foreknowledge. It's not a warning. These visions are prophecy these visions and prophecies were not intended to be a warning to the people, but a demonstration of the foreknowledge of God. When it comes to the prophetic, we have to understand what is intended to be a warning and what is intended to be foreknowledge. And even as we think about end times prophecies, there are a lot of people who talk about those things as if we need to be afraid. They, they, they kind of produce a fear, even amongst believers, of the end times. Can I tell you that if somebody's using those things to inspire fear, they don't understand. Those things are meant to say, God already knows. That end time period is already determined, written down, just like Daniel wrote down these visions. God knows it. He's not taken by surprise by any of it. And if we're with him, we need not be afraid. I love the way one pastor says it. We're to be on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. (laughs) Okay? When it comes to end times prophecy, some people get so they get so bogged down in trying to, oh, but did you hear what happened in Israel today? Such and such happened. This is a fulfillment of this prophecy. This means that we're in the end times. Some guy wrote a book, right? Actually, a lot of guys have written books about end times prophecy as if they know or they've discovered or they've found the secret solution to solving the mysteries of the end times. If you read their book and buy it, 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. Did anybody ever buy that one? That guy. I don't know who he was. It was great. He, he had the audacity to write another book. 89 reasons why Christ will return in 89. And if anybody bought that one, shame on you. <laughs> All that to say, we have to understand when a prophecy is intended to be a warning and when it's intended to tell us that God has foreknowledge. Today's vision is one of demonstration of foreknowledge of God which should give us great comfort as believers. Okay, so it says in verse 2, And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa the citadel, which is the providence of Elam, and I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. So he's breaking down where he's at here. He's giving us his GPS location here. Uh, And this is where he has the dream. He says says in verse 3, I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. As we've seen through these visions, everything has a meaning. Okay, So he sees this ram, and we know that this ram was the national, this is historical fact, okay? So we're going from what the scripture says to understanding how this has fulfilled the prophecies. But the ram was the national emblem of Persia, okay? Rams were stamped on Persian coins as well as on the headdresses of the Persian emperors. So the ram is specific, and for those of that time period, they would have understand that, they would have understood that. 
so one was higher than the other. Uh, this in- indicates that we have these two parts of the kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. It was, it was a combination empire. One of them stood higher than the other. The Persians were larger and stronger in that partnership. That's why in Daniel's vision, one stands up higher than the other, because the horns represent kings. Okay, so verse 4 says, I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. So the Medo-Persian Empire exerted its power to the north against Greece, to the south against the Scythians, and west against Egypt. But, it, but Persia did not move uh, in any way towards the east, okay? That's historical fact. So Dan, again, Daniel wrote that beforehand. He's writing this in the King Belshazzar's era. Belshazzar was conquered by this empire. So as he's preaching, the, or as he's having this vision, he's reading into the future that's going to start in about 10 years, which also gives a little bit of insight as we could go back in time to when he interpreted Belshazzar's handwriting on the wall. Daniel already had this vision. He already knew that this kingdom, Babylon, was going to be conquered and that a new kingdom with a ram with two horns was going to come out of it. Verse 5 says, As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, a flying goat. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. So the goat, if the ram was one kingdom, guess what? The goat's going to be another kingdom. And wouldn't you know that the goat (laughs) was a common way of demonstrating the Greek empire. So we have Daniel prophesying the rise of two kingdoms, the Medo-Persian kingdom and then the Greek kingdom. So this goat with a conspicuous horn, he flies across the earth, okay? This is Daniel, this is the the interpretation of this, which we're going to read in a minute. It's talking about the fact that another kingdom is going to rule. And there was a great ruler who would rise up from the Greeks, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Okay, verse 6, he came to the ram with the two horns. Wouldn't you think that one horn would get beat by two horns? Nope, not in this vision. And I know some of you are hunters, and you're like, man, I wish I would have seen that many horns during hunting season. (laughs) So he came to the ram with two horns, which I had seen standing at the bank of the canal, and he ran at him with his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, And he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. This is is a vision of one empire toppling another empire. Sounds like something that should be on Animal Planet. Except for these are crazy animals. Anyway. Some of the greatest, most fierce battles in history, in the ancient history, were between the Greeks and the Persians. They actually make movies about this stuff. So this is historical fact that Daniel is prophesying into the future because God knows. Verse 8, then the goat became exceedingly great. Okay? The goat became the goat. (laughs) The greatest of all. No, This is specifically referencing somebody who we can look back on history as Alexander the Great. He even got the nickname Alexander the Great. Daniel says, this goat, the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. 
Alexander the Great, history tells us that at age 32, which that's younger than most of us in this room, at age 32, he died. (laughs) He just died. So he became exceedingly great, and he died. It's believed that he could have possibly died from drinking too much because they had a lot of celebrations because they were awesome. But as we know, people oftentimes are their own worst enemies. So Alexander, he's this great king, conquers the known world, and at age 32, while he's at the height of everything, dies suddenly. So it says, but he was strong, but the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. When Alexander died, okay, it wasn't a succession plan. He didn't know what was happening. He was 32, and he died suddenly. There's no plan for when a leader dies at 32, right? It's not like 72 or 82 or 92 where they're seeing the handwriting on the wall, and they're going, hey, I need to make a plan for my future. So when Alexander the Great died, his four leading generals, they split the kingdom into four. They didn't split it like, you know, sit down and have an arbitrator just kind of write down here, you get this kingdom. No, they fought and they, they battled with one another and they became four separate kings. And that describes the four horns that rise out of the one horn. Verse 9, it says, Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards this glorious land. This is describing one of those generals. So as the four split, one of them became greater than the others. This, this uh, represents the kingdom that, that would grow towards the glorious land, toward meaning Jerusalem. Okay? As it, in verse 10, it, it grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. See, that this general was Seleucus. And he was the general that rose up from the four. And his kingdom became great. His son should have inherited that kingdom. But just like with Alexander, and just like a lot of ancient history, uh, succession didn't go that way because somebody else rose up and conquered. So a king comes into that kingdom. He, He kills this general, and he rises up. And we see this description that he grew to the host of heaven and the prince of the princes. It's describing somebody, and we've already seen it through Nebuchadnezzar and through Belshazzar, that when these great kings, these great men, when they would rise up, they would make themselves essentially like God. And they were jealous of worship, and they wouldn't allow people to worship. So this is describing this king that would rise up, and he would come to the Holy Land, and he would destroy the temple, and he would stop the sacrifices. Daniel is writing this prophecy hundreds of years before this happens. He's describing a king who would come in and he would declare himself to be like God. And we know who this king was. His name was Antiochus. And he murdered the rightful king. And through bribery, he became the king of Syria and Israel. In 175 BC, this is the history part of this, Antiochus, or Antiochus, he comes into power and he chooses the name Antiochus Epiphanes. 
which means God manifest. He claimed equality with God. He blasphemed God. He He commanded idolatrous worship directed towards himself, and he bans worship in the temple. Outlawed religious practices, including observing kosher foods, and he burned copies of the scripture. He persecuted the Jews. He banned their rituals. He became the enemy of the people of God, okay? As we study this guy, he was, he was as bad as any modern dictators, worse. So he murdered the Jewish rulers and persecuted the people of God, and he even put an end to the ritual sacrifices that were happening. And this is all predicted by Daniel years and years in advance. Unlike other kings who captured and he, he, he came and he just wanted to kill them all. So Daniel is seeing this in a vision, okay? We're going to get to the interpretation of it. Hold on. <laughs> I'm talking to myself. It's, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> Verse 12. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper the Jews and their leaders would be given over to this king and thrown to the ground and with the offerings and with all the, the sacred system. Antiochus sold the temple priesthood to the highest bidder. He was out for bribery. He was just not a good king, okay? Let's just put it that way. Verse 13, 14 says, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and hosts to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For twenty-three evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Daniel, as a Jew, is very concerned and the people he would be writing to with how long the system was going to be down. So Antiochus, he comes in, and he wipes out the temple system, and the Holy One is going, how long will this be? 2,300 evenings and mornings. That's a pretty specific amount, isn't it? So there's a couple different ways that this is interpreted. In the Jewish system, they gave offerings both in the morning and in the evening. So this could be referencing either 1,150 1, days, which is about three and a half years, or it could be referencing about seven years. But we know that this, is, this kind of gives some insight into that, that that time period where the, the worship in the temple was shut down, where, where sacrifices and the burnt offerings were not allowed, was three and a half years. Three and a half years. And that's not because they were reading the book of Daniel. That's what happened. Three and a half years, they shut down the temple. And because of that, a rebellion rises up. The Maccabees, they rise up. And they want to push back. Because whenever there's a leader who stomps the people down, there's going to be those that will fight against it. And I love the Maccabees. That that word means hammer. It's pretty cool. So they're the hammer as they come back. And after about three and a half years of this whole system, the burnt offerings getting shut down, they restore the temple. They restore the temple. That's an amazingly specific prophecy for 350 years before any of those people were even born. 
right? We can get bogged down. I, I can get bogged down in how to pronounce their names, for one. But <laughs> in the history of it and, and looking at it, and, and if you are interested in this, you can, study the, you can study ancient history until your heart is content. It's written down, not just in the Bible. It's written down in the history books of the world. And you can go and you can look at this and realize that Daniel had a dream in which he told the future, just as if, like I was saying, if somebody could predict all the events of this coming year. And not just that, because that'd be one thing. That would be pretty cool, right? But what if they could tell you the end of the American nation and the next nation that would rise up hundreds of years from now? That's essentially what Daniel is doing. Verse 15 says this, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. You know, how many of you, when you, if you had a dream like that, <laughs> you would want to know what was happening? <laughs> so now we're going to get into the interpretation of this. And I'm gonna kinda, I've already kind of covered the fulfillment of it, so I want you to hear what Daniel write, writes down about the interpretation of this dream. And behold, it says, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. Okay, when you read that, there's another way that this is phrased in other, in other translations and, and how it's written in the Hebrew is one like a man, having the appearance of a man. Who do you think might this be talking about? If it's referencing someone who was like a man, a supernatural being who was like a man. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, having the appearance of a man, stood before me. And it says this in verse 16, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Eli. And it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And so he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. So Jesus says to Gabriel, hey, Gabe, go and tell him what's going on. Okay? And Daniel has the experience of talking to an angel. And when that happens in Scripture... What you see as Daniel's response is the typical response. On face, needing a change of clothes. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Daniel has, he, he has an interaction with Gabriel. He doesn't know this is Jesus because Jesus is not, he, he's still way out there in, in, in Daniel's history. <laughs> Gabriel comes to him and, and he says, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. That phrase, the time of the end, this gets us, okay? And here's the thing. That phrase has, has a meaning that's like at the appointed time or at the end of the allotted time. It doesn't necessarily mean the end times. It means at the end of this time, okay? And there are, there are when, whenever it comes to prophecy, in the Old Testament specifically, we see a couple of different ways that that can be fulfilled. One is the primary fulfillment, okay? Like when, Nebuchadnezzar, when the dream about Nebuchadnezzar happens and he's going to become a wild beast. That's a primary fulfillment. There also has a secondary fulfillment where it might get fulfilled again. And then there's an ultimate or final fulfillment. So there's a couple different ways that these things can be fulfilled. And we see this through the prophecies in the Old Testament. That oftentimes they were specifically referencing one historical event 
but that they also pertain to a secondary event or to a final event. So there are a lot of, that's why a lot of people believe that this, this fulfillment has happened in history, but that there's parts of this specifically that reference another time at the end. That's why Daniel gets kind of treated as apocalyptic, as kind of this um, almost like a, an Old Testament revelation. And actually, Revelation, John, he, he references a lot of the visions and things that happened in Daniel. But this specifically is referencing these events in history. He says to him, Gabriel says to him, understand, O son of man. Now, why does he use that title? Son of man. See, this is interesting because son of man, it could be like him saying, I'm an angel. You, you're just the son of man. We actually see that this is, this is elevating humanity, okay? God had a plan, a specific plan for mankind, so much so that he became a human. He took on the likeness of man. So this isn't the angel just saying, oh, you son of man. He's saying God has a plan. And this is what it says. And when he had spoke to, spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, and he touched me, and he made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall rise from, this, from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall, shall arise. He shall, his power shall be great, but not by his own power." And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand and in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. This is describing in greater detail these kings that would rise. Antiochus is this one that, that at the end, with bold face, he captures, he, he elevates this whole thing to another level, to where he comes and he disrupts the temple. He puts himself on the same level as God. As we've already learned in Daniel, God won't be mocked. He won't. He won't it won't always just be okay for those who do that. And Belshazzar did that, and within a day he was gone. This king would come and he would, he would kill, he would persecute, he would destroy the Jews because they were worshipers of God. And he would set himself up. What's crazy is it, is it says that he would be destroyed, but not by human hand. Okay? He, was, he, he died, but it wasn't from a battle wound, he died a disease. Okay? And this is history. He didn't die in battle. Even though the Maccabees, the hammer, they rose up in revolt against this king, he wouldn't die in battle. He died of sickness. You think that those things aren't specific? You think they're not important? 
Daniel is describing the history of the world. Years and years and years before it happened. These prophecies are intended to tell us that God is into the details for one, but that he knows. He knows. Verse 26 says, The vision of the evenings and the mornings that, was, that has been told is true. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. Okay? Daniel might be sitting there going, tell me that it's not true. Tell me that they won't, they won't capture the temple and shut it down. And, he, and Gabriel says, it's true. It's true. There's going to be a period of time where temple sacrifices will end. Ultimately, there's going to be a time when they will end for good. They're going to end for good. That's not specifically what this is referencing. That there would be a time that, that, that Daniel's vision foretold of years where the temple would be shut down. Three and a half years. All this, Gabriel says, but seal up the vision. Seal it up. Okay, and here we have another kind of demonstration of different kinds of prophecy. Right? If we go back to my reference to Jonah, Jonah would have loved to seal up his prophecy. He didn't want to go share it. That was the whole point of the book of Jonah. God had given him a message to save people, and Jonah didn't want to deliver it. In this case, God is told, Daniel, seal it up. Write it down. Don't share it. It's for later. This is part of the reason that some people don't believe that Daniel actually wrote this book at the period of time that he did. For one, because it makes people feel better to not believe that God is sovereign. Because if you actually believe that, church, if you actually believe that God knows everything, uh, then we have someone to be accountable to and that he is real and that he is powerful. So we try to, you know, we don't want to deal with that. That this is referencing, so Daniel doesn't tell everybody, okay? And you can understand why. Because 10 years from now, when Belshazzar is drinking in his feast and he takes the temple cups out and he has this moment with the handwriting on the wall, if he knew that Daniel has already predicted the demise of his kingdom, for one, Daniel might not have been allowed to live. Who knows what would have happened? Daniel has this stuff. He's written it down, but he doesn't share it so that later it could come out and that people could see God knew all of this way beforehand. And then it says this, Verse 27, and I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I arose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So even though Gabriel has given him understanding, Daniel doesn't understand it. Can I tell you something? If you knew everything that was going to happen to you in your life, in the life of your kids, in the life of your grandkids, you'd probably be sad. Okay? I'm not saying that there's not a lot of joy in life, but think about it. That would be a really hard thing to know, to walk around with that burden. That's essentially what God had given Daniel. It's like, I'm going to show you a glimpse of the pain of the future of this region. It's not just a ram and a goat. Thousands of people's lives, millions of people's lives. People living in misery and suffering under dictators, under brutality like we don't don't understand. And Daniel sees this vision. And he's a man of wisdom and he understands it. 
And it says it made him sick. Have you ever gotten news that made you sick? It just wiped you out. You just didn't even want to deal with the world. That's what happens to Daniel as he has this vision. It, it makes him sick as he lives with that for a period of time. And then it says that he got up and he went about the king's business. I think a lot of us wish we knew the future, but I don't think very many of us actually want to know the future. I think we want to know the good things. So we, we, get, this, we get this incredible perspective from Daniel. We get this incredible, incredible perspective. But you know what we have that he didn't have? We have a name of how this stuff is destroyed. We have at our disposal, unlike Daniel had, Daniel trusted in God, so he knew, and it, ultimately that's going to come to, it's going to come to pass. He, he knows that the kingdom of God is unshakable, and that's how he gets up from his bed. <laughs> but we on this side of history, we get to see not only what Daniel saw, but we get to know the name of Jesus, that one appearing like a man who appears in this vision, he would come. He would come and he would die on a cross. Predictions that were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born would come to, to be true in him. That he would be the answer to so many prophecies, both primary, secondary, and final. That he would be the answer that when we think about our future, if you don't have enough life understanding to know that there's a lot of pain ahead of you, even when we think about those things, because of who Jesus is, we can go about the king's business. We can get up off of our bed, and it, it, even if not physically, because we're so sick, spiritually, we can live differently. We're empowered by an understanding of the sovereignty of God. See, understanding God's sovereignty helps us know how to live. Some people wrestle against the sovereignty of God because they don't know how to wrap their head around it. But can I tell you, I don't know how you can live without that. (laughs) Without understanding that God is in control, he sees all, he knows all, and in the end, victory is ours. In the end, Jesus wins. In the end, it's already done, and we walked through the entire book of Hebrews that talked about that. In the end, it ends not just the religious system of sacrifices and gives us grace, but it also answers the questions of pain throughout the history of the world. Daniel is able to get up because he goes, God, I trust you. And we all want to know the future and how we're going to get through the difficult times. This offers us a perspective. It it reminds us, no matter what you're going through, no matter what seasons of life lay ahead of you, your kids, your grandkids, future generations, the entire future of the world, God's sovereign over it, and he's for us. He's for us. Do you think we need that reminder? I don't know if you guys are going through anything hard. I doubt it, but... (laughs) that's sarcasm sorry (laughs) 
Many people are suffering. They're struggling. And if they're not now, they're going to. And Jesus said, you're going to have troubles. But fear not. Get up. Lift your head. Because I've overcome the world. Daniel is telling us here, his life, his, this vision is going to come true because this isn't a warning. This is God saying these are things that are written down. Let me just demonstrate to you that I know. But still, there's hope. There's hope for us. And this thought came to me that what's so great about Jesus, what's so great about the power of God to redeem is that the pain and suffering and brokenness that we go through, not only are we promised that good will be on the other side of it, but we're promised through Scripture that not only will good be on the other side of it, but that good will come to us through it, that glory will become through it, that God will be glorified through our trials. And do we not see that throughout history? Do we not see that in Daniel's life? As he suffers through the lion's den, what happens? The king worships. We see that through the challenges we face when we do it with the perspective that understands that good things are coming to us. It, it, it empowers us to live differently, to get our heads lifted up. And I'm not saying there aren't seasons of life and challenges and things that we face that are way harder than others to lift that head up. And I've watched people walk through the most difficult things in life and to do it with an element of faith, it screams of the goodness of God. So Daniel is saying, get up. God knows and he's good. He's sovereign over you and for you. It says that in Romans 8, which is a great passage for us as we think about the sovereignty of God, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. That the same God who wrote this, this ancient history, he planned it all out from the fall, before the fall, he knew what he was doing. That same God is writing your story. He's writing our stories. That should give us tremendous hope through the mess through the brokenness through the challenges through the struggles through the defeats and through the victories god's got a plan for our good he's got a plan for your kids he's got a plan for the future bigger than we can understand and we're so blessed here in this time period to look back in history and see the fulfillment of these things to see jesus and to worship him to celebrate, and, and I wish I could stand up here and say, we're going to celebrate the fact that none of us are ever going to deal with anything hard again. But instead, we get to come and we get to say, no matter what we're going through, we worship Jesus. And we know he's good and we know he's won the victory for us. Because of his body broken for us, because of his blood shed for us, it ended the sacrificial system. And it provided for us grace. This morning as we close the gathering, we're going to come and we're going to receive communion. We do this every week, but on a week like this, to remember that no matter what we're going through, what Jesus has done is enough. What Jesus has done has won our victory. 
what Jesus has done guarantees that good is coming. It guarantees all our promises, everything is fulfilled in him. So we celebrate. We're going to come and we're going to worship. We're going to receive communion. I'm going to invite you to stand. Would you stand up with me this morning? We're going to pray. Then you're going to be able to come forward and receive communion. And if you're in the back and you, don't, you can't make it forward, Terry will be back there and he'll have the elements and he'll bring them over to you. We're going to come and we're going to worship and give thanks on a week of thankfulness that God knows our future. That he knows it, he sees it, he's not surprised by it. And that even if we face challenges, he's with us. Hey, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your love for us. God, we cannot comprehend the plan that you've put in place. It just, it, it, Daniel, in this book, it says, even though you spoke to him and you gave him an interpretation, it says he still didn't understand it. And even though we can look back on history and we can see so many things and we see Jesus, there are times in our lives it just still doesn't quite click. It doesn't quite make sense. So we pray for understanding as Daniel did. Help us understand. But in the midst of us not understanding, in those seasons of life that are the most difficult, when we can't say circumstances are good, Would you allow us in our spirits, as the song we sang earlier, to say it as well, would you allow us to say, it's good. And I know good's coming. I know you're in control. I know your plan is for me and not against me. Would you help us to trust in you? Would you help us to declare your goodness, even in the seasons we don't fully understand, that people would glorify you because they'd see they'd see your presence in our lives that they would be invited into that kind of relationship so we thank you we thank you for that perspective and i pray it would be strengthened today that we could trust in the sovereignty of god and lean into it and not be afraid no matter what the future holds for us your kingdom is unshakable So we celebrate that and the initiation of that, that you took upon yourself our sin and you bore it on the cross that we could have relationship with you. So we come this morning and we thank you and we worship you. We pray for faith and trust to rise up. That the most terrible suffering, undeserved suffering in the world produced the greatest good, and that's the cross. So we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can come forward and receive communion this morning.